Uh, welcome to our component one CCR reflection. Uh, I'm Antonio Gonzalez, and we have Jonathan Catalano and Timothy Mack here. And we all worked on a project titled 321, and it's our film opening. And to start us off, I'm going to ask the question, uh, how do our products use or challenge conventions, and how do they represent social groups and issues? And we're going to go to John to answer that. Our answers are going to be analyzing our title sequence and explaining our decisions regarding the mise-en-scene, cinematography, editing, sound, titles, etc., and how we use or challenge the genre, the genre conventions. Going first at mise-en-scene, looking at the setting, our film takes place in a modern day in an average town, presumably Florida, but that's up to the audience interpretation. The core being our, for our news reporter scene, we had a caution tape set up to make it look like a crime scene and give the audience a feeling that there was something terrible that took place here, being a murder. For props, we used the news reporter mic uh, in the news reporter scene, the phone used by the two victims, and the toy machete used in place of a real one, as well as the toy axe used in place of a real one, as we didn't want to mess with real weapons for a for our short film opening. For lighting, uh, in the news reporter scene, we used natural light in the middle of the day. But our uh, other clips, we uh, was immediately after dawn with the help of the, sh the street lamps to get the authentic dark, but not too dark, where you can't see anything, to get that really ominous, scary um, horror feeling. For costuming, for our news reporter, we had her wear uh, more kind of formal clothes so that you would know that she was a news reporter and not feel like she's just some random girl we gave the script to and have her read it. For our killer, we had him wear dark clothes, a hoodie, and a mask to remain dark and mysterious like most Sasha villains, for example, Jason Voorhees of the Friday 13th movies, who also wore a mask. And for our victims, we had them wear normal slash casual clothes to make them look like an ordinary teenager, which are uh, perfect victims for the slasher film. For cinematography, uh, we had an establishing shot at the beginning showing the, the area where our first victim was getting chased. We had a close-up on his face many times. We had a two-shot of both the victim and killer side-by-side. Side. We had an uh, over-the-shoulder shot of our victim running. We had a high-angle shot of our victim looking down at his phone, uh, showing the desperation that had in uh, his helplessness. We had um, pans and tilts uh, throughout that sequence to show uh, the movement, as well as a tracking shot following the character very closely, so you could hear his movements and feel as if you were the character. We had a uh, dolly in on that one phone scene where you get a dolly in of the character on his phone. And this was all done by a steady cam, which really helped um, make the picture look clean and crisp and clear and not as um, jumbly and bouncy around as many other projects uh, you would see if they were just f filmed on a normal phone. Uh, for so, our titles, um, just like any other slash films, wait. we decided to use um, a red title, a, a black title screen with red text over it to fit that normal common slasher genre convention. So for editing as well, uh, we wanted to keep edits to a minimum as we felt like it would kind of give it more of an artificial feel and we wanted it to be a more natural, immersive experience. So I put cuts uh, in between each clip to shorten the duration of these clips in order to uh, create a more natural feel. Um, also for editing, we put the titles in post-production 
Uh, we edited some sounds in as well to go into sound. So we had the horror sting when the first victim dies, which creates a more suspenseful effect and kind of sub subverts the audience's expectations as to what's happening on the screen, as well as provides a more sensory experience that's not just visual. You know, we have two two different elements playing together with sound and with the visual element. Um, also with editing, I sort of created the, the title screen with uh, a certain font that's a bloody font. And it created a more like um, like horror esque uh, vibe to the title that we had. And three, two, one uh, is the title. So. so, TJ, I'm gonna ask you the question: How are social groups or issues represented in our genre, typically? And did you use or challenge these representations in our film? Um, we employed various social stereotypes and issues into our horror film, as these are characteristics apparent in every horror film and we need it to in order to fulfill our genre's expectations. For example, the use of a female reporter shows that women are becoming more and more susceptible to important jobs such as reporting on the news, and this coincides or coincides with the typical gender of the reporter in a multitude of horror films. We challenge these representations at least of gender. Typically, the victims are loud and screaming women, such as in Halloween, which was made in 1978, but we use the majority of men as victims. Although they were pretty much quiet throughout, they do make frantic noises and subvert the audience expectations on who exact is under the threat of being killed. And Antonio, I'll ask you the question, how do your products engage with the audience and how would they be distri distributed as real media products? So we decided to first have our product be exhibited at a film festival, and we chose New Line Cinema as our producing partner. As New Line Cinema has worked with many popular horror movies such as It, Freddy vs. Jason, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Leatherface. Our slasher film has a lot of the same characteristics as these films. That's why we think that New Line Cinema would be the perfect fit. As for distribution, we would use New Line Cinema's distribution rights in order to distribute our film to movie theaters. We would also attend and distribute our film to a film festival, as I stated previously. We would have to, we would have, we have decided to participate in this film festival in order to gain popularity of our film and have a better chance of gaining the distribution company we desire, and also to get our film reviewed as well as win rewards for the critical acclamation. So for our chosen budget, we chose a two million USD budget. Other films produced by New Line Cinema, for example, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, are cheaper in budget costs than $2 million. Although, although these prices are susceptible to inflation due to, to, due to their release in the 20th century, some of the other films produced by New Line Cinema are much more expensive and yet did not reel in as much of the profit. For example, the movie Leatherface, which did not have any profit for that matter. They made exactly one-fifteenth of the cost of production that it took for the film. So, in order to discuss how our film would be exhibited and marketed to our audiences, we would plan on going to a film festival first with our film, as that's how a lot of successful horror films gain lots of traction and support, while also having the opportunity to win lots of awards at said festivals, improving the quality of the film, and then working our way up to a theatrical release if the film is received well. But if we don't even need the film festival, then we would just go with a wide release since we could cover the, pub, uh, the public as a whole to maybe grab anyone's attention that may be interested in also ma ax maximizing our profits. 
So going into so our target audiences to... and who would watch okay. our film, our target audience would be for those who are making this movie for and those who enjoy a thrilling experience and an unpredictable watching journey. People will watch our film because it's a true thil- thriller where we don't know where the killer's identity is until the very end of the movie. But specifically, our target audience would definitely be um, teenagers and um, maybe a little early 20s because these are the these are the group of people who really enjoy these uh, thrills and chills movies, especially thrasher, thrasher films, as they're seen as the victims of many of these films, making them extra interested in watching them. So for this part of the podcast, I wanted to um, ask each each of us uh, how our pr- production skills developed throughout this project. So if you have anything you want to add about what you learned from uh, creating this movie that made you a better uh, filmmaker in the end, one of you guys can answer. Okay, um, I'll go. Uh, we learned how important the uh, pre-production re- uh, really is. Without the right amount of planning, we would not know what to do when it came to actually filming it. For example, when we did our storyboarding, if we didn't have that storyboarding or that picture in our mind, when we got to filming, we would have had a lot of things to think about. We would have to pretty much storyboard when we were filming. But since we did that storyboard, it really helped us um, see how much planning we needed to do. And I'm glad we did it because we were able to shoot all the scenes we did in the way we wanted them, in the timeline that we had them planned in because of that storyboard. So that's one thing I really learned and kept from this experience. So TJ, what did you learn about the process of making films from the beginning through the middle to the end? Um, I learned that in order most important post-production is um, how you make the final product and it's the hardest because you have to go through all the editing, um, the sound changing um, and all that. Then um, pre-production for planning. And uh, I think for us, the filming was probably the easiest part because we just had to go about and perform in the actual script. So, yeah. So, when it comes to actually filming the film, we, we thought that, that this was the easiest phase because in pre-production, we practically uh, drew out exactly what we would need to do uh, in, in the process, like gather our props, the angles for filming, like our storyboard, for example, really led to um, us be, being able to have the easiest filming phase uh, possible, which really helped us. Also, when it comes to planning and drafting, we um, mainly planned and draft our film in the classroom uh, with verbal communication with our group being our like most collab- collaborative uh, phase of our assignment. And directing done by all of us Directing was done by all of us. Uh, whoever was in the film was directing, and we were giving tips to one another and showing what we had to be done and what we were doing wrong. When it came to the cinematography and the shooting aspects, shooting was done by mostly John and I, as TJ was being filmed for the entire time since he was our killer, using the and we and we used the Zihun SmoothQ gimbal stabilizer and an iPhone 11 in 4K recording quality. Once I started using Adobe Premiere which we used to edit our film post-production, I was completely confused on the processes that came with this rather complicated software. As it is a professional software, and therefore there are a lot of options that you have to go through in order to get your film the way you want it. This, bundled up with the due date, really stressed me out at first. 
However, I worked through it, and with the aid of a variety of tutorial videos from, for Premiere, I learned the basics of editing. Some of these basics include splicing clips, cutting them up, and editing sound as a, a separate layer, as well as importing videos and sounds. And for sound, typically we use the hybrid of diegetic and non-diegetic sound in both pre and post production. What this means is that we use some sounds that were from our filming process and then some sounds that we had externally, whether that be through videos on the internet or from other videos that we've recorded ourselves that we needed to use for sound effects. So what I did was I imported a couple of sounds from YouTube and I edited them in both the reverb, which I added an outside reverb, and higher pitches, as well as we cha I changed the duration of these sounds and volume in order to create my own unique sound from these basic sounds that I got. And I even used my own bitch pitched as high as my own voice, sorry, pitched as high as possible with a echoing effect from my speakers to get the sound effects when the title appears at the end of the opening. So this was sort of me taking taking an original idea and making it my own in order to make our film as best as I can. So that kind of goes with how this um, allowed me to leave the class a more skilled and knowledgeable filmmaker because it, it taught me how to adapt to um, timeframes and different things that I'm learning uh, as we go. And I definitely know now if I were to make another film that what I would do different, uh, whether it be planning, shooting, and definitely editing, I would know how to edit a lot better now. So I want to ask you guys, um, how did you integrate technologies, both software, hard, hardware, and online technologies in this project? Well, the equipment that we used, we used the Zion Smooth View Gimbal Stabilizer, which is a phone camera stabilizer that costs around $80 USD. This tool allowed us to film to have a unique feel to it as the camera work uh, was now stable on the, uh, the x-axis and therefore looks much nicer. We also use iMovie, which is a free editing software, along with the other software Antonio mentioned before. And also we learned the ins and outs of using a gimbal stabilizer with the standard iPhone. It's actually kind of complicated, but we had to follow the manual precisely in order to figure it out. It took a ton of fidgeting, but after 20 minutes, we finally got it to work. And we now understand there are a variety of factors that come with creating an indie movie. Especially with the editing software, Adobe Premiere, and the sound um, software, uh, Reverb. So when it comes to before and after of our editing process, Although I cannot visually show or depict what we changed, you could definitely tell that um, our first rough cut to our first final cut to our second final cut to our third and fourth final cut, there is a large substantial difference in just quality overall. A lot of our cuts were distorted and practiced discontinuity, which is something that we did not want in our film. So I took the time and I edited transitions and cut the ends and beginnings of these clips in order to fit better. And it ended up being a lot more um, continuous in that sense. So that allowed our film to be a lot better and flow a lot easier. So TJ, be specific about the settings we used and others. How did we um, adapt and what did uh, we do to integrate technologies into our film? Um, for most of the film, we shot in the Grove Mall and uh, the small shops in the back that look perfect for our film because they're smaller, less empty. And uh, looked at night perfect for our slasher film because they were dark, scary, and quiet. 
And um, things perfectly amplify the setting of the film. For the rest of the film, we shot in the forest next to the grove. This was quite near the other location we shot. And this was an envisioned a reporter in front of a forest at the very start of the film reporting someone's death. And the action was also vacant, so it looked like an empty forest. However, convenience was also a big factor at this location, was also next to other, oh, we were shooting at, at which made shooting easier and less time consuming since locations were close together. Finally, this setting also worked well because of continuity since we filmed in an area so close to others seemed very reasonable that the film was taking place in the same areas as if we would have shot in two places around the country. So, yeah. All right, so um, to finish up, uh, I just wanted to briefly outline um, our contributions in the project. Uh, so, TJ, if you'd like to start with what exactly you did to help us with the project. Um, I, along with Antonio and John, were like the creative minds for the script and concept of the film. When it came to filming, I was a slasher, and I did a little directing as well in filming. And um, I specifically worked on uh, a bit of the cinematography. I shot a good amount of the shots that we had, like the beginning of sequence especially. Uh, I also edited the film myself with the Adobe Premiere Pro software. I uh, integrated some sound to it using my own um, creative expertise. Uh, I did some directing as well when John was filming. I uh, tried to help as much as I could with what uh, our actors should do. And also, I provided the map for the film, as well as the weapons that the slasher used. Uh, I was mostly on the camera work, cinematography, and directing, as I was only had a brief um, acting part, but I was still an actor in the film. I contributed uh, the props, some props, such as the reporter's mic. I got the decor for the reporter's scene, the caution tape, a little bit of it, and then I got the rest. I uh, came up with the... Um, title idea of it being black on red matching the common horror convention and it did a lot of research into that and other genre conventions that really brought this whole film together all right well thank you guys for your time and um this was our ccr reflective podcast that we did uh i hope you enjoyed thank you